0: Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Katie. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series Jesus Is. We will be looking at the 7 I Am statements that Jesus made. Here's Pastor Nick
1: Our text is John chapter 8, and I'm going to begin by reading the first 11 verses of John chapter 8. Then they each went to their own house, but Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came to the temple, and the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses... It commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up, and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we study this morning, Lord, we pray that you would do a formative work in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, Lord, that you would shape and change our lives, that you would come into our lives with your transforming power, that you would speak to us by your word, and that you would do a deep spiritual work in our lives. Lord, that you would answer some of the questions that we have, maybe some of the things we've been allowing to be barriers for us. And Lord, we just lay those things at your feet right now and we ask that uh, through this time, we would hear from you, we would truly get it, your message that you wanna speak to us and that you would do a transforming work. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started a new series called The Trouble Is, and during this series for six weeks, we are addressing some of the toughest questions, some of the big questions that people ask in regard to Christianity and the things that people say create the biggest hurdles or struggles or barriers for them in embracing and accepting Christianity. In preparation for this series, I did a poll online to kind of a survey on my website and I asked a lot of people to share it and they did and so I got a lot of response. I'll even read you some responses that I got this week from people as far away as Africa. So I, I got a ton of response from people all over the world and both from Christians and from non-Christians and from people who said, you know, I'm not even sure what I am. I, I don't know where I'm at with all of these things and this series has really so far already. I'm, I've been enjoying it. It's led to so many great conversations and I hope that you're engaging with it as well and enjoying it and uh, you know, we, we want to read really talk about these things honestly what are the things that people really struggle with and how can we address those things how can we deal with them honestly what what is our response but also how are there some things that we just need to own and so that's what we're talking about my hope is that by doing this we can remove some of those barriers and help people, including you today, to put your faith in Jesus wholeheartedly. One of the other things that I'm excited about this series, is it's going to go out on the radio, it's going to go out on the podcast, on the internet, you can share it with friends, and so we really encourage you to do that, because we know there are a lot of people who do struggle with questions and doubts, and not just people who say, I'm not a Christian. There are many people who are Christians who say, look, I'm a Christian, I, I want to believe and trust in Jesus, but there are some things that I honestly wonder about and I struggle with, so we're addressing those. Next week, we're going to be looking at the issue of science. Does science disprove the existence of God or, or the uh, validity of the Bible? The week after that, we're going to talk about something called the Christ myth. Now, maybe you've seen on YouTube the, a video called Zeitgeist, or maybe you've heard of Bill Maher's movie, Religious, you know. There's this common theme of this idea of the Christ myth, which means it's the concept that Christianity basically borrowed or stole ideas from other ancient myths and religions and, you know, put Jesus' name on it. And it's really nothing new. It's just a repackaged version of old stuff. We're going to talk about that. Uh, We're also going to talk about the problem of suffering and evil. If there is a good God who can do anything then either evil shouldn't exist, or if it does, well then does that mean that God's not good? So we're going to talk about that question, and finally we're going to talk about the issue of exclusivity and hell. For a lot of people that's a stumbling block. How can Christianity claim to be the only way, and how can they say that if you don't believe what they believe, then you go to hell? That's an issue. So let's talk about that. This week, though, we are going to talk about the topic, which was actually the number one response that we got as to uh, this question of what are the biggest hindrances, what are the biggest hurdles that people experience, stumbling blocks that people experience in embracing Christianity or putting their faith in Jesus. And that is the issue of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. 76% of people who took our poll said that the trouble with Christianity is that Christians are hypocrites. That's the problem, they said. In fact, what was interesting about this poll I took was that amongst people who said that they are not Christians— not Christians. Those people, the biggest issues that they marked down as being stumbling blocks, hurdles, barriers for them in accepting Christianity, this is what's interesting. The, the majority of people who are not Christians, they said it wasn't empirical issues. And by empirical issues, I mean things which can be either proven or disproven, things which there's either evidence for or not. It wasn't those things. Rather, it was moral issues that they said created the biggest problems or hurdles in embracing Christianity. Things like hypocrisy, that's a moral issue. Or things like suffering and, and hell, those kind of things. And so we want to talk about that. Here, here are some of the responses that I got to the actual poll. People could tick boxes or they could actually write in a response. So here's some of the write-in responses that I got. So one person, not a Christian, said this. The culture created by evangelical Christianity is often emotionally and psychologically abusive. Another person, this person is from Africa. They wrote this, white people brought Christianity to Africa, but they have not treated us Africans in a Christian way. Another person says, Christian leaders preach against certain sins, but then they get caught committing those exact same things that they preach against. In other words, that's hypocrisy. Another person said, my problem with Christianity is that Christians harbor resentment and hate and they are unloving. Well, that's quite the critique on a religion which claims to follow a guy who himself is love. Okay, another person said that negative experiences with Christian leaders is the biggest reason why people reject Christianity. So these responses absolutely line up with the results of a 2007 research project, which was undertaken by Barna Research Group. And they asked people why they rejected Christianity, and the majority response they got was hypocrisy and judgmental attitudes on the, on the part of Christian people. In other words, for most people who reject Christianity, the biggest issue that they say is the biggest issue, they say, this is the reason I can't believe in your God. It's because of the behavior of your people, because of the behavior of people who call themselves Christians. And if you add to that the things which have taken place historically under the banner of Christianity, things like the Crusades, the Inquisitions, the witch hunts, the slavery... Let's talk about hate speech even, bombing of abortion clinics even more recently. On some level, people have decided that if Christianity produces these kinds of people, then there must be something fundamentally wrong with Christianity itself. That's the conclusion they've come to. And they say, so, so for us, we must admit this fact, we must see this, that hypocrisy is a major Issue. It's a major stumbling block for some people when it comes to embracing Christianity. Now maybe for some of you, you say, yeah, actually that's me. That's my story. I can totally relate to that because that's my life, man. Maybe you have been hurt by people who claim to be Christians and they treated you badly. Maybe you've how to peek behind the curtain, kind of like Wizard of Oz style, where there's these, maybe a person or people who everybody looks up to and they think are so great and so wonderful and so spiritual and so awesome, but you saw behind the curtain and you saw them and you saw that they're not, they weren't not acting spiritually and they were not acting awesome to say the least. Or maybe something happened to you in regard to Christians and you just felt so judged or so betrayed or so rejected and you just felt like you looked at this person and said, I can't believe that you claim to follow Jesus, and yet, you know, it's Jesus who claims to be love personified, and yet this is the way you act, and this is the way that you treat people. Now, if that's you, I want to begin today by just saying this. I'm sorry. I, I am genuinely sorry that that has happened to you, and I am sorry that people have hurt you and let you down. As human beings, of course, we're not perfect, but as those of us who call ourselves Christians, here's the thing. We have to be the first to admit it. We have to be the first to admit our shortcomings and sins and own it and apologize and repent. That's our bread and butter. That's what we do. We, we have to do that. As Christians, we need to own the fact that some people and institutions have done things under the banner of Christianity which do not at all reflect the heart of or the teachings of Jesus we can't hide from that. We don't try to sweep it under the rug. We don't try to pretend like, oh, well, it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. Obviously, it's a big deal. You know, sometimes you'll hear Christians say something along these lines, like, hey, don't look at me, look at Jesus. And, and I get that, because in a way, that's absolutely true, that this isn't about, you, you're not following me. You, you should be following Jesus and looking what he says, but there's another sense in which that can be kind of a form of deflection. Hey, don't look at me, look at Jesus, kind of along the same lines as like, yeah, do what I say, not what I do. So there can be a sense in which that's kind of a cop-out to say, hey, look at Jesus, don't look at me. Here's what the Bible teaches us. It gives us the example of the Apostle Paul who said kind of something very exact opposite of that. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a very different attitude, isn't it? Follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, he said, I'm gonna live my life in such a way that I can be an example for you of what it actually looks like to be a follower of this man, Jesus.
0: Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, facing nine common barriers to embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are Wrong, And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkatie.org To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support BSet Free Radio at bsetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message.
1: I had someone in my life who exemplified that for me. His name was Greg. He was a pastor, and he had a formative role in my life at one time, and I'll never forget something he said. I don't even remember the exact context, but I remember he was saying this, and here's what he said. He was talking about this this idea of follow me as I follow Christ, and here's what he said. He said, if you would follow me around for just one day, you would be incredibly disappointed. You would see me do things that I shouldn't have done. You'd see me go places I probably shouldn't have gone. You'd see me say things that I shouldn't have said and you'd be incredibly disappointed. But then you'd be incredibly impressed because you know what you'd see me do after I did all that other stuff? You'd see me get down on my knees and you'd see me repent and confess those sins and admit it. You'd see me go and ask for forgiveness from people and get down on my knees and turn to God and seek forgiveness and restoration and then go out into the world and and seek by his strength to be different. And I love that attitude. That's the opposite of hypocrisy. That's somebody saying, look, here's who I really am. And in reality, I am a flawed person, but I'm a person who's absolutely seeking God, seeking forgiveness, admitting my faults and coming to the Lord. In fact, you know, the word Christian, when it was first used, we read about this in the book of Acts. Chapter 11, it was originally used as an insult against Christians. It's kind of a, a form of mocking. They would call them Christians, which in that language meant literally little Christ. So it was it was an insult, but the Christians were like, hey, we actually— think that's kind of a, a, not so much an insult but that's kind of a, a compliment and they latched onto it and it kind of spread so they start calling themselves Christians but that idea of little Christ what that insinuates is that to be a Christian is to be somebody who is an imitator of Jesus but even more than that a representative of Jesus but even beyond that you are somebody who is being transformed into the very image made to be more like him every day made to be more like this man Jesus and so rather than deflecting and saying hey don't look at me, don't look at us, look at Jesus, I think we need to own it because that is our calling. We need to own that that is our calling. And when we fail or when other Christians fail, we have to be the first to admit it and to apologize for it. Now, on a personal level, I can just tell you this. I've been a pastor now for 13 years, a senior pastor, head pastor for 13 years. And I've been in church, you know, a little bit longer than that. And I can tell you that I have experienced this stuff firsthand. I've experienced hypocrisy from other Christians. I've been hurt deeply by other Christians. I've been let down. I've been betrayed. I've been stabbed in the back. I've been stabbed in the front. I've been uh, hurt deeply. But here's the thing. I haven't given up on Jesus And I haven't given up on the church. I absolutely believe in the church because that's the other thing that people say is, well, you know, I'm still into Jesus, but I I don't want anything to do with the church because those people hurt me or they're hypocrites or whatever. And I want to tell you, no, that's not the right answer. I still haven't given up on Jesus, and I still absolutely believe in the church, and I'm absolutely committed to it. And my hope is that as we talk about these things today, I can convince you why you should not allow the bad behavior of some people who call themselves Christians to be a barrier for you in embracing the gospel. I think it is a choice that you make whether you're going to let that be a barrier for you, and I want to give you some reasons why you should absolutely not let that happen, and, and you should, in fact, embrace the gospel, embrace Christianity in its full form, including the body of Christ, which is the the church. So we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to see how he dealt with this issue and what he had to say about it. Our text, as we read earlier, is the Gospel of John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11. Let me walk you through these verses one at a time. Verse 1, we find out that Jesus is in Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives is a hill, which is in nowadays, the modern, now it's within the city of Jerusalem. In those days, it was a hill just opposite the downtown or the, you know, the hill of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is in Jerusalem. You know, he spent most of his time up north in Israel. So what's he doing in Jerusalem? Well, let's go back to the previous chapter, chapter 7. Jesus is in Jerusalem for what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of the three great Jewish holidays for which every able-bodied Jewish male was required to come up to Jerusalem. So three times a year, they were required. If you were an able-bodied Jewish male, you were required to come to Jerusalem for one of these three great feasts. And the last one of the year was the Feast of Tabernacles. And so during these festivals, Jerusalem would be full of people. And sometimes men would bring their families with them, but a lot of times they wouldn't. So there would be some families who would come up with their with the men, but sometimes they would leave the women and children at home. Like for example, if the wife was pregnant or if they had little children, you know, you'd have to travel by foot and sometimes it'd be a multiple day's journey. So you might leave your wife and kids at home and the men might come by themselves. And so I want you to keep that in mind. This is the setting. It's like a big convention season in some cities. Like in Las Vegas, you get these conventions that come through town. There's a bunch of people from out of town. Jerusalem's full of people, particularly full of men and a lot of men who are there without their wives and families. Verse two tells us that Jesus came to the temple early in the morning and people started gathering around him to listen to him teach. Verse three, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus who had been caught in the very act of adultery. The religious leaders bring this woman before Jesus, caught in the very act. That means they literally pulled her from between the bedsheets, and brought her to Jesus. There's a good chance that she's naked. Maybe she's covered in some kind of bedsheet, but they bring her into the temple, and Jesus is teaching his crowd, and they bring this woman, and they bring her, and they put her right in the middle of this crowd. And just imagine, try to put yourself in this woman's place. Just imagine how incredibly embarrassing this would be. You see, we all have done things that we're ashamed of. But imagine if the one thing that you're most ashamed of, that you're most embarrassed of, that you say, man, I hope that nobody ever knows that I did that or ever saw that I did that. What if you got caught in the middle of doing it and then it was made public? It would be incredibly humiliating. It would be terrible. And they bring you to this religious site. That's the last place you want to be. And here are all these religious people and they're all just looking at you. And here you are, you know, trying to cover yourself up feeling ashamed. And they're not just looking at you, but they're glaring at you because they're judging you. They want you to know, they want you to feel how despicable they think you are. And at the same time, these guys are, are feeling smug, feeling a couple inches taller because they're enjoying the fact that they're better than you. Now maybe you say, okay, look, look, okay, I get it. The way that they did this was not nice. They shouldn't have done it. It wasn't nice the way they did it. But you know what? She would have never been in this situation if she hadn't been doing what she was doing in the first place. If she hadn't been doing that, if she hadn't put herself in that situation, then maybe this wouldn't have never happened to her. But here's the thing. It's not quite that simple. You see, what you need to understand about the the law of Moses is how it worked in this regard. Now, first of all, the law of Moses did require that a person who was caught in the act of adultery was to be put to death by stoning. They would throw rocks at you until you died. Terrible way to die. But because it was such a severe penalty, because it was a capital punishment, it was required, they put some kind of barriers around it to protect people from abusing this law and taking advantage of it to maybe get back at somebody they didn't like. And so they made this very stringent requirement that said you have to have two eyewitnesses who saw the very act happening in order for someone to be prosecuted. And so historians tell us that almost no one, if no one ever, was actually ever prosecuted for this, at least not by Jesus' time, because it always happened in secret, and there weren't two eyewitnesses watching it happen. And there had to be two eyewitnesses. In other words, it wasn't enough for people to see two people exiting a room together. It wasn't enough even to see two people lying in a bed together. They actually had to see them in the very act, which brings up a very important question. Which is, where's the guy? Because, I mean, I know you guys understand this. It takes two to tango. Like, and the law of Moses did not say that it was only the woman who was to be punished for this uh, case of adultery. But both the man and the woman were to receive equal and the same punishment. They were both to be stoned to death. And what that shows us is if they caught these people in the very act... But this, this is a case of hypocrisy, right, because on, the, on the part of this religious leaders, because here they drag this woman into the public square, humiliating her, and yet if they caught her, that means they also caught him, and yet where's he? Apparently they let him go, which is itself against the law. So here they are, questioning Jesus about the law, and they themselves don't care about the law, they totally disregard it. And really, this woman is just a pawn. They're just using her in order to get what they really want. And what they really want is to discredit Jesus. Because you see that they're jealous. They're jealous of the fact that Jesus is getting so much attention, that he's so popular. They don't like it. And so, what they want to do is they want to kind of cut him down to size. They want to discredit him in the eyes of the people. So, what they do is they bring this woman before Jesus and they ask him this question in verse 5 Now, the law of Moses said, Jesus, that this woman should be stoned to death. What do you say? Now, there are two things, two factors here. On the one hand, Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. It says in the Gospels that the common people loved to be around him because unlike the religious leaders who made them feel judged and they were condescending, Jesus treated people with dignity and love and respect even if he didn't agree with the things that they were doing or the choices that they were making. And they were trying to put Jesus in a place where he has to make a choice between compassion and justice. Okay, Jesus, you're going to have to choose now. Is it going to be compassion or is it going to be justice? If you choose justice, then you will no longer be the friend of sinners. They will not want anything to do with you. But if you choose compassion, then we're going to accuse you of not caring about the Bible, not caring about the word of God and the law of Moses. Now that's the one part, but there's another aspect to this as well. See, at this time, Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. And a couple of years before this, prior to this event, Rome, having occupied Israel, they took away their sovereignty, which means that Israel could not act according to their own religious law, the law of Moses. In other words, Israel could not carry out capital punishment according to their religious law. To do so would be against the law of Rome. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to put Jesus in this situation where he has to choose on the one hand between compassion and justice, and on the other hand, he also has to choose between obeying the Bible and obeying the law of the land that he lives in. And so if Jesus says, don't stone her, then they're going to say, well, look, he obeys Rome and not God. And if he says, yes, stone her to death, well, then they're going to report him to the authorities and he's going to get arrested. So either way, they win. It's a slam dunk. It's easy. They've got him. There's no way that Jesus can wiggle out of this, is there? But what does Jesus do? It says in verse six He bent down and he started riding in the dirt with his finger. Now, back to these religious leaders. These religious people were cruel. So they could have easily detained this woman in a closed off space where no one had to see her nakedness, where she didn't have to be ashamed, but they didn't do that. They intentionally humiliated her and degraded her. Not only are they cruel, they're also hypocrites. Because they let the man go, who they obviously also saw him doing the same thing. And it just so happened, right, that there were two eyewitnesses. And some people would look at this and say, the coincidence a little bit is a little bit too much here, isn't it? Right, it just so happened that you had two eyewitnesses who saw this happening. And see, a lot of people believe that what we're reading about here was actually a setup, that the Pharisees probably got somebody they knew or maybe they hired somebody to go and to sleep with this woman so that they could then burst into the room and drag her out and bring her before Jesus in order to trap him. And that's the reason why the, the man's not here because he was part of their setup. Because see, here's what would happen. And this is another aspect of hypocrisy. When all these men would come up to Jerusalem for these festivals and these feasts, remember, this was a religious event And yet during these festivals with all these men, many of them far away from their wives and families back home, there was a market for prostitution. Now that's terrible, right? But think about this. What this means is that these men came up to Jerusalem for this religious purpose, for this religious festival. During the day, they're doing their religious stuff. But in the evening, some of them are going out and they're soliciting prostitutes. And that's what most Bible scholars believe was happening here in this case with this woman. And that's exactly the kind of stuff we're talking about today, isn't it, right? People who act all religious, but when it really comes down to it, they live no differently than anybody else. If anything, some of them live actually worse than people who who don't call themselves religious.